0: Energy
1: efficiency. Demand response. Design for climate and design for comfort. Payback for the customer.
0: Multi-junction solar cell. Insulation on your roof. The peak loads. Energy out of an ocean wave. 20, megawatt Embodied energy of construction. Thermal output. Great way to get waste out of the system. Link brain batteries. Do the underlying science justice.
1: Clever systems for how vehicles are charged.
0: Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action taking it to a do-it-yourself
2: level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero Show, recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the community radio network and podcast on the internet at bzd.org.au and 3cr.org.au and whatever podcasting app you choose to use. And don't forget you can also follow us on Twitter at bzetechshow.com. G'day, my name is Anthony Daniel, and joining me is Matt Grantham. How are you, mate? Very good, Anthony. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. The weather's getting a little better in Melbourne. It might be a false storm. We might get (laughs) rain and hail next week, but for now, it's great. We're joined today by a guest out of Sydney, even though the organisation he heads is out of Western Australia. Hazy Group is a Western Australian-based company focused in bringing innovative, clean technology to a global market. They have a novel, low-cost hydrogen and graphite production technology that he's going to tell us all about today. And Jeff Pocock is their managing director, and he's joining us, as we said, from Sydney. G'day, Jeff.
0: Hello, how are you?
1: Thanks for joining us on the show today, Jeff.
0: No problem at all, and thanks for your interest in, in Hazer.
2: Oh, we, we, we love technology and we love homegrown, fantastic technology even more, so it's great to have you. We always like to start getting a bit of a background. Maybe you could tell us a bit about Hazer and uh, yeah, where it came from and, and how long it's been going for. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Well, HAZER started as a research project at the University of WA and it started probably getting close to 10 years ago. And it was looking at uh, a particular uh, chemistry called thermocatalytic methane decomposition. Methane is the main component of natural gas. And when you heat up methane in the presence of a catalyst, it decomposes. the, The methane CH4 it decomposes to form carbon and hydrogen. So suddenly we had a really interesting approach to a new way of making hydrogen and also a way of making of making graphite, which is the, the form of carbon that we're that we're getting as product. So the technology, you know, started and a number of years ago we established Hazer to be the commercialisation entity. So we basically formed the company and said, well this is a technology that's really got a lot of interest, a lot of opportunity. We'll form a company around it. That gives us the ability to go and raise capital, investment capital to people who want to fund this sort of this sort of research. And late last year, we, we got to the point where we actually floated the company on the stock exchange. So we raised a few million dollars, we raised $5 million on, in the IPO, and floated the company on the stock exchange. And what makes Hazel really different is, you know, we've got all of these you know, ways of making hydrogen and all these sort of products out there, but what we're doing is that basically we've got two products out of a single reaction. It's a very, very simple process. You heat natural gas in the presence of a catalyst, and we have a catalyst that's so cheap that it basically... Drives the economics. So we use iron ore as a, as a catalyst for the process, and all of a sudden we have a very, very low cost and low emission way of generating both hydrogen and graphite. You've,
1: you've certainly hit on a winner there, Jeff. Uh, one thing uh, Western Australia is not short sure on there is uh, iron ore and gas. So uh... Absolutely, no. I mean, it's,
0: a, it's, a, it's a great West Australian thing. I mean, people have been looking at this chemistry, the idea of catalytic decomposition of methane. People have been looking at this as a way of doing things for. 50, 60 years or more, but it's always been a problem with the catalyst because the catalysts people use, they've used nickel, they've used platinum, palladium, all these sorts of really expensive materials as a way of catalyzing the reaction. And it becomes an uneconomical way. I mean, you can make hydrogen out of natural gas at the moment. It's quite a cheap way of making that hydrogen. It's It's a CO2 polluting way of making hydrogen, but it is still a cheap way of doing it. So if you've got a really, really expensive catalyst in the system, you're never going to be able to make it an economical way of doing something. So the innovation that came out of UWA was people looking at it going, what if we took it this different way? Rather than trying to make a better and better catalyst, what if we just got something that was cheaper and cheaper? And you know, being in WA, you know, what's the cheapest way of getting something? And, you know, oh, look, we can just dig it out of the ground and put it in, and, and all of a sudden it works. So that was when we really knew that we had something that was going to be commercial, commercially possible. And... We don't need particular grades of iron ore. We don't need good stuff. We can use—we've literally used the stuff that people use to pave their roads in the mines. So, it's really a very, very low-cost catalyst. And by having a low-cost catalyst, you've taken that out of the out of the economics of the process. You're suddenly looking at a very, very economical and high-margin way of making these products.
1: And, Jeff, if we could go into a little bit of the detail here just sort of around the chemistry. We've got a fairly sort of technical audience that yeah. listen to this show. So I've seen on the website you describe yeah. it as quite a simple process. What sort of temperatures are we talking about here? Um, do you use the catalyst up in that process? What's Give us a bit more of a okay. feel for okay. for the actual process. All
0: right. So the process is it's a, it's a, what they call a heterogeneous catalysis. You've got a solid catalyst and a gas that's going through it. And the gas, what happens is the the gas reacts on the surface of the catalyst. So the catalyst, from a chemist's point of view, it is a catalyst. It's not actually being physically consumed in the reaction. But what happens is it actually gets coated with the graphite. And after a period of time, the graphite has formed on that catalyst surface and the gas can no longer contact the catalyst and that's when it stops working. And that's been the problem with this from a chemistry point of view for a long time. That you've got a really expensive catalyst, it gets caught up. Eventually, it stops working, and then you have to find some way of recovering that catalyst with all of the graphite in it and around it. The the chemistry of what's going on, I mean, temperatures it's done at typically temperatures around, you know, in the order of around nine hundred degrees. So it's pretty hot, but it's not so hot that it's a difficult problem from a, a chemical engineering perspective. And the process itself is is outside of that, really very simple. You're basically just blowing this this gas through the catalyst system, and and all of the, you know, the chemistry just happens all by itself.
1: And when you started out in this process, Jeff, you know, we're going to talk a bit about outputs in a minute. You know, the, the sort of the graphite, the carbon-based stuff, and the hydrogen. But did you start off with this as a way of trying to create hydrogen? And how does it compare to the sort of current hydrogen process? You mentioned them, okay. some of them before, but yeah, um, so can you talk a bit more about be, that?
0: Yeah, so Hazer, absolutely, it started as a hydrogen process, and Hazer stands for Hydrogen and Zero Emission Research. So that's where the, the origin. And the attraction of it is that hydrogen is hydrogen. Is hydrogen. There's no real grade. It's a, it's a gas. Once you make it, hydrogen made by anyone is all pretty much the same thing. So it's a very, very uh, fungible, you know what I mean use that word, basically a very, very, uh, you know, replaceable commodity. And so at the moment, you know, people make hydrogen primarily by fossil fuel reformation. So the main way is something called steam methane reformation using natural gas, but you'll refer to technologies like coal gasification, and what's happening in those technologies is you've got hydrogen present in the form of some hydrocarbon, C-N-H-Y. So you've got you know some amount of carbon and some amount of hydrogen in there. And typically what's happening in a coal gasification or a steam methane reforming process is you're extracting that hydrogen, but all of that carbon content is being turned into CO2. So, for example, with steam methane reforming, you're typically releasing anything from 7 to 11 tonnes of CO2 for every ton of hydrogen you make. And from a chemistry point of view If you then use that hydrogen and burn it to generate energy in a a fuel cell vehicle or a fuel cell of of, of some sort, chemically, all you've done is exactly the same as just burning the natural gas in the first place. So you actually can't really, that that sort of hydrogen made from fossil fuels, it's not really applicable as as an energy stock. Yes, you've got a, a car that runs on hydrogen and all that comes out the exhaust is water, but all you've actually done is relocate those CO2 emissions back to where the hydrogen is being produced.
1: And, Jeff, in terms of cost, can I ask you know, you're talking about the, you know, the, the idea around production of hydrogen at the moment. Does your process of the way you sort of crack it and, and process it? How does that compare on a cost basis compared to that other process you mentioned where if we ignore for a minute all of the CO2 emissions and we don't price those, but let's just uh, talk about it. We're we're not allowed to. We're not allowed to price those here.
0: Uh, (laughs) No, 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 that's exactly right. And and that was absolutely the, the philosophy that Hazard took was always to say we want to be the lowest cost hydrogen production technology. And what happens for us is we're the lowest cost because we've got a second product to sell. So because we're making graphite, we're making graphite which has enormous value at the moment in a range of applications, including things like lithium-ion batteries and electric vehicles and fuel cell vehicles that have all got batteries in them. Even just, dare I say, more boring industrial uses of of graphite, the fact that we're making graphite as a second saleable product, the net cost in terms of hydrogen production cost is lower than anything else. So that's the the real key for us. it, It wasn't about being... The cleanest or the zero emission it's about being the cheapest and cleanest so you want to make sure that absolutely if somebody's is just caring about the bottom line this is still a viable process for them
2: uh, yeah okay so let, let's go into those those outputs more so you've, you've, it's got the hydrogen and the graphite what kind of form does the graphite come in and is it in a in a format that can be equally you know go into those processes to produce batteries and things like that
0: that's well that that's that is what we're, we're in the process of doing and demonstrating that. So the graphite comes out. It comes out in the form of, of highly crystalline graphite, and we've, we've been in a position just recently to announce to the market some of those sort of preliminary results. Now, this is still... We're basically still going through the scale-up process, so we're still at an early stage. But the, the results that we were getting... You know, we're getting a solid graphite product that was straight out of the reaction mixture, 86% graphite total, total graphite content and then can be purified very simply up to 99%. So you're right getting up into those you know, commercial grades of graphite that can be used in a, a broad range of applications, including batteries. So we are looking definitely at having the sort of graphite that would be able to go into those batteries, and that's a, an ongoing development act goal for us at the moment, to, to be able to make more and more of this graphite and be able to be in a position where we can actually supply it to, to battery manufacturers and do the testing ourselves to actually show that this is as good as or better than the sort of graphites that are being used in batteries at the moment. Jeff, could
1: I sort of take a step back here uh, a little bit, and, and the graphite market is, you know, that you're talking about there. Our listeners on this show, you know, a lot of them will follow EVs and have followed the storage story over a long period of time. Um, But could we just take a little step back and talk about the differences between natural graphite, synthetic graphite, and, you know, some of the environmentally damaging ways graphite to date has got a bit of a bad rap in the market, you know, the way it was being produced in China. So can we sort of tell that story and see how your technology slots into that sort of more sustainable way of producing graphite?
0: Absolutely. Well, certainly, I mean, at the moment, a lot of the the synthetic graphite, and and you can make synthetic graphite just means it's it's come from an alternative feedstock. Natural graphite, you dig it out of the ground, you're limited by what you can actually find in the ground, and there's a lot of companies that are getting very interested in mining graphite. Traditionally, the higher ends of graphite were always worth synthetic graphite, so are made, and that's an extremely... Energy-intensive and also quite a polluting way of making things. It's a, you know the, the ways of making synthetic graphite were traditionally getting things like petroleum coke and heating them up to, to several thousand degrees Celsius for an extended period of time in order to give them that sort of graphitic character, and that's very very um, energy-intensive and also there's been a lot of I, I know there's been a lot of concerns about the the incidental pollution that also occurs as a result of some of this sort of synthetic graphite processes and when you've got a synthetic, uh, a petroleum coat product, you know, and you're heating it up, what else is coming out? What else are you burning out? Are you burning out a lot of sulfur dioxide? Are you getting a lot of sulfur dioxide or nitrogen oxides that are coming out of these products as well? So there has been a lot of concern around the synthetic graphite space and a combination of that and the increasing cost of the energy costs associated with synthetic graphite. Really, that's what's driven a lot of the interest in the mined graphite space and the ability of getting, you know, flake graphite, finding it as a, as, a, as a mineable resource. And our, from our perspective, we're looking to go, well, we're actually making a synthetic graphite, but it's in a very, very clean environment. There's really nothing else that's... There's no other pollutants that are coming out of the system. We don't have a lot of sulfur or nitrogen oxides coming out of the system. We've got very, very well-understood characteristics for the, for the materials going in. And so it's not the, the, the same sort of – and it doesn't have the
2: same energy. Load. Can I suggest then, Jeff, if you really want to stake yourself apart from the synthetic graphite manufacturers, you maybe take a step out of the – or a leaf out of the uh, diamond book and maybe call it cultured graphite, <laughs> rebrand <laughs> re- re- it, and you might, be, you might be on a winner.
0: Uh, yeah uh, Hazer graphite That's right No absolutely different product
1: Can I ask You know In terms of your, your Graphite product And your outputs At the moment You said this is obviously An area that's under development In terms of going forward Assuming that You know All these milestones And the R&D That you're doing Does sort of Take place As, you know, as, as you're expecting yeah. A key feature Of, of battery grade graphite Is it's flake size And it's need For further processing To get the purity levels up As you mentioned So how do you know your product as it stands right now stack up relative to you know the jumbo flake producers out there in the market you know yeah. in, terms of, well, in terms of in terms of cost of production
0: yeah in ter- well look, in terms of cost of production it's a very it is a low cost production because really our primary input cost is, is driven by the, the the cost of natural gas and natural gas is are, are readily available and, and, and increasingly a low cost feed feedstock that we use in terms of you know qualities like flake size well flake size is a particular aspect of of mined graphite and, and of flake graphite rather than even vein graphite, which is the other form of mined graphite, it's not usually a term that gets um, applied to the synthetic graphite and, and to a hazer graphite type product. So we don't have a direct, you know, flake size comparison. But in terms of cost of production, I mean, the, the cost of producing graphite via the hazer process is gonna be significantly lower than any mined graphite product that's gonna be available. So it really is gonna be coming in at a very low cost a low-cost graphite product and a low-cost hydrogen product.
1: And and going forward, if you mentioned some of this sort of R&D that's underway, as I said, we've got a technical audience, and don't give away any sort of trade secrets yeah. Yeah. here, but what are the sort of innovations you're working at at the chemistry level that are going to enable those tweaks to happen to get that graphite product that you're looking at? Yeah. What's the chemistry involved there?
0: Yeah, well, the chemistry involved, I mean, really what's going on at the moment, it's all about building scale and, and process optimization It's just being able to... To, to tweak the the operating conditions, the temperature, the pressure, the, the catalyst particles, and the, the the things of that sort that we can control, in order to basically optimise the process for particular products or product streams. So that's the that's the work that we're doing at the moment, and really that's all being done with, in collaboration with the, the University of Sydney. Here, we've got a, a really good relationship with them, and you know they've got fantastic facilities for doing a lot of this sort of scale up and process intensification type work. So. That's really the the core of what's going on. It's a case of building scale in the system, and then you're making a you know a product that is going to be you know, a direct replacement for for things that are currently in the market. So, yeah, you know, one of the great things about both hydrogen and graphite is they're known commodities, and so a lot of the you know things that might need to get done to to produce particular um, product specifications that's all a known that's all known sort of material. So, you know, purification of hydrogen from a you know, uh, an, an immediate sort of, you know, whatever percentage we end up with as a as a as a hydrogen, you know, percentage hydrogen product, purifying that up to the sort of ninety nine point nine 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 that's required for a fuel cell. That's all known technology. So our product is going to go straight into the existing technologies that, that deliver those products.
2: Great, we're on the Beyond Zero Show, and we're speaking to Jeff Pocock from Hazer Group, a Western Australian group developing a fantastic new process for. Uh, uh, producing uh, hydrogen and graphite, um, I think we're in the "is it too good to be true" area yes. at the moment. But we're, we're we're looking forward to hearing more. Um, well, let's let's move on to hydrogen and, and particularly yeah. its outputs and where, where you see it fitting into the market. You said it's yeah. it's these are products that the market knows well and, and can import into a lot of yeah. other processes. But I mean, I guess we're we're interested in uh, given the fact that if hydrogen can be produced at lower cost, what kind of new uh, markets could it potentially find. I mean, we're in a, an interesting well, well, yeah. Uh, yeah, thing in transport the bit, at the moment, aren't we?
0: Yeah. Well, that's the thing. And if you think the last bit was too good to be true, this is the bit that just blows my mind <laughs> yeah. away. Right. Like at the moment, at the moment, people spend about $100 billion, billion with a B, dollars a year making hydrogen. And almost all of that, 90-something percent of that, is actually going into industrial chemicals. It goes into using <laughs> making ammonia, goes into oil refinery, goes into making plastics and margarines. A tiny, tiny portion of that is actually being used in the energy space. Right. And then you look at well, okay, what can happen in the energy space if you know, how much hydrogen would need to be used to start if it does start becoming a replacement of vehicle fuel. And suddenly that hundred billion dollar market suddenly seems tiny by comparison to where it could go. So it's quite it's quite phenomenal to think that there's that big a market that has that much growth available to it. And one of the reasons that hydrogen hasn't gone into these markets is because of these problems associated with production. So, broadly speaking, there are two ways of producing hydrogen at the moment. You can produce it by electrolysis of water. So, if you put an electric current through water, you'll get the water will decompose to form hydrogen and oxygen. The problem with that, and if you've got a clean power source, if you've got hydroelectric de- um, power or photovoltaic, you can have a hydrogen product that is essentially CO2 free. There's no CO2 associated with making it. The problem is that you need more energy into the water, than the energy value of the hydrogen you get out. There's no freebies on this one. So that's just the, the, the first law of thermodynamics. You can't win on this. So what you're actually doing in those situations is you're using hydrogen like a battery. It's just an energy storage mechanism. You've got another source of energy, whether it be you know, photovoltaic or whatever, and you're using hydrogen as a way of storing that energy. And hydrogen's not the world's greatest storage medium because it's really, really light. So you have to move a lot of it around. To you know, to, to move sort of an, an amount of energy. So, you know, that's one of the problems with hydrogen and, and electrolysis-based methods, and that's why not many people make hydrogen by electrolysis. As I mentioned earlier, if you're making hydrogen out of hydrocarbons, from an energy perspective, all you're doing is basically burning the hydrocarbon, but by putting a couple of extra steps in the way, so you always get less energy by you know making hydrogen out of natural gas, and then burning that hydrogen, you get less energy than if you just burnt the natural gas in the first place, and you've got exactly the same CO2 footprint, so there's really no point in doing that. What we can do is we can suddenly totally go into these sort of like, you know, low energy, uh, sorry, low CO2 hydrogen production, and suddenly open up those energy markets, because we actually have a way of making hydrogen with a, a low and you know, down to bordering on zero CO2 footprint, which is still... Not reliant on another source of um, another source of energy, and also has a you know a low cost product because of the the credits we get from selling selling of graphite.
2: Yeah so as you're in a situation now where of transport all the discussion's been around EVs and I guess from your perspective if you're making a, an input for batteries you don't really care which way it goes you win either way Jeff uh, uh, I think on that one yeah. but but, that... but does there really need to be one winner in terms of uh, the hydrogen versus electricity in in it with the transport Ooh. fuel are there are there right. niches where hydrogen would yeah. be would be more suitable
0: Absolutely and and if you talk to the the motor vehicle industry yeah you know, they're really very much across the idea of look it's not a one-size-fits-all there are there are limitations with a pure electric with a, with a pure electric vehicle or a battery electric vehicle it's primarily relating to range and how far they can go in charging times and charging cycles and then there are opportunities where hydrogen powered vehicles are going to come in as well and so you know in the, you know if you talk to Toyota or hyundai or um BMW or Mercedes like all of the car all of the car companies are increasingly saying well hydrogen powered vehicles they're not going to be the only winner they're not going to be the only solution in the motoring in, in the motoring market but they're going to be part of the solution and battery electric vehicles they'll be part of the solution too so you're going to end up with a mix of these sort of products coming out there um from our perspective and from the graphite perspective the other great thing is a fuel cell vehicle well it's got a battery in it too so you know From a graphite perspective, whether it's batteries or fuel cells, they're all going to need graphite, and they're all going to need. And you know, the the fuel cell vehicles will also need the hydrogen. So we win both ways. And Jeff, Mm -hmm.
1: do you do you see uh, going forward? I mean, there's clearly been a lot of talk, and I know that uh, that there's been some Japanese firms that have sort of you know made a big bet on the hydrogen economy. Um, Do you see hydrogen also sort of, you know, getting into sort of other forms of other than ground transport, aviation, um, stationary energy applications for storage as well, or do you just sort of see it
0: inhabiting those niches? I think think there's always going to be opportunities for hydrogen to go in, and I think a lot of it is going to be coming down to – it's going to come down to cost and, you know, power outputs. I know that, you know, there's a lot of work at the moment in Japan around the the hydrogen economy, as you say, and they have – you know, fuel cells for homes. So you can, rather than having a, a photovoltaic system on your house, you'll have a a home fuel cell that at the moment is based on natural gas. You'll have a, a natural gas line come in. it will convert that natural gas into CO two and, and hydrogen, and then the hydrogen will run through a fuel cell. And the the Japanese expectation is very much that over time that natural gas line that's feeding the system will be replaced by a hydrogen line, and you'll just have the hydrogen aspect going in. So you won't have the CO two associated with the the, the natural gas, so I think it's going to come into those sort of markets, and that's the that's the really exciting bit. That's the bit where you start going, well, this hundred billion dollar industrial chemical market, it's suddenly double or triple in size when when hydrogen starts being a major player in the energy space, and it won't just be in vehicle fuels. It'll be across the you know stationary power generation. It'll be across you know home power. It's, there's any number of areas where hydrogen may well be a a, a solution in the energy market.
2: Fantastic. Well, I mean, let's let's finish off by talking a bit about. Uh, where this process can go and where it can fit, I mean, obviously, uh, being able to get uh, uh, natural gas to, to run this process is great, and it's a zero uh, carbon fuel. But as soon as anyone hears that you're using methane as a as an input and it, yep. something zero carbon comes out, they're excited about it being almost like a, something that will will also almost leach sort of greenhouse gases from the atmosphere or prevent these some of these natural sources that are going in. Uh, from, well, from occurring. So where, where is the potential? Uh, right now, does your process really require a really pure natural gas source or, or can it go into areas where right. no, you, you we, can scavenge it in, in, say, landfills even?
0: Absolutely. No, we've, um, we've done a lot of work on, on the system to look at what the, what the tolerance is for other gases other than methane going into the system. And, and the good news is that, yeah, the, the, these other gases that you might find present in a, in a, in a biogas or a landfill gas they have no bearing on the process. So they are absolutely a way that you can you know, you can harness any sort of any methane source that you might be able to get access to. It doesn't need to be, you know, particularly high purity, it doesn't need to be particularly high grade sort of natural gas. You could use landfill gas, you can use coal seam gas, you can use biogas and effectively create a carbon sink where, you know, there's a lot of interest I know in the biogas space of, you know, what I call closing the carbon cycle of effectively having you know, CO2 turning into biomass and then turning that into a, into an energy product. Well, this actually offers a step even beyond that, where you can start going, well, no, you can have the you know, CO2 to biomass conversion that, that plants do all the time. But then by you know, having a gasifier and then taking that gas stream, feeding it through a hazer process, you're actually generating graphite in every The the numbers work out, you know, every kilogram of graphite that gets produced by the process used to be about three and a half kilograms of CO2 that was in the atmosphere that is now sequestered away on a long-term basis.
2: Fantastic. And and this hazer process can be put in a shipping container almost and and taken out to these sites and, and retrofitted onto these things so they can be right there?
0: That's the plan. So the plan is always to take the technology to the market. So we're being, we do, you know, it's an Australian-grown technology, a homegrown technology that we really see it as something that we want to take around the world. And that's going to be a case of taking the technology rather than just shipping commodities over the, overseas. So it'll be a case of finding ways of building plants and building them at different sizes and different scales. So that they meet the market needs for where they actually are.
1: That reminds me a lot of uh, distributed solar, there, Jeff. In fact, you're taking it where you need that's, it and uh, nice. not uh, having to transport it long distances. So that's, that's uh, right. a good look, business model.
0: It is. It's the way to do it. And you know, look, hydrogen has a lot of inherent difficulties in being a transportation product, uh, being a transportable product. It's not the easiest material to transport. And so that's why you always, at the moment, more than eighty-five percent of the hydrogen that gets made in the world. Basically, gets made and used exactly where it gets made. For that very reason, you want to have an environment. You want to have a technology that, you know, it's not built on an idea of building a, a massive hydrogen production plant in in Western Australia or in Australia more just building as many hydrogen production plants as the market needs, wherever they need them.
1: And, Jeff, we've only got about 30 <laughs> seconds left, but do you want to uh, just uh, direct listeners to where they can find a bit more information out about your organisation?
0: Absolutely. Look, the, uh, the two main sources of information on the company, obviously our website, au, and also through the ASX and the um, Australian Stock Exchange, where our code is HZR. So there's a lot of information that, get, that gets put out through the market, but also the website, and through the website, you can also follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn and those other sort of social media platforms as well to get news on an ongoing basis.
2: Uh, yeah, and as we record, 59 cents. Uh, is where is where Hazer's sitting. I'm,
0: I'm sure you look at it on
2: a on a minute-by-minute minute basis, Jeff. But... I,
0: I, I try not to do it minute-by-minute. Minute. I, I <laughs> right. do look at it. I, I, I must confess I do look at it every day. <laughs> um, <laughs> no yeah, worries. It's very, very close to our
1: heart. We've been speaking to Jeff Pocog uh, from the Hazer Group, and uh, you've been listening to Beyond Zero Show. Uh, to find out more about what we do, you can get in contact with us at bze.org.au. My name's Matt Grantham. I'm Matthew Daniel. We'll see you next time. Command response design for climate and design for comfort, payback for the customer.
0: Multi junction, solar cell insulation on your roof. The peak loads.
1: Energy out of an ocean wave. Twenty, thirty megawatt.
0: Embodied energy of construction. Thermal output. Great way to get waste out of the system. Think brain batteries. Do the underlying science justice.
1: Clever systems for how vehicles are charged.
0: Solar window in a can. Beyond zero. Global warming science, solutions and action.
2: Taking it to
1: a do it yourself level. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.